Acts chapter 26, verse 1. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. So Paul is now getting the opportunity not only to give his defense, but to tell the king about Jesus. Paul had every right to be irritated at the process he was undergoing, and he could easily see that this whole thing is dumb. Paul was probably thinking, I've appealed to Caesar. There's no real point in this conversation. You know, you're not even in the chain of command. Paul knew that Agrippa's probably not going to fall on his face in repentance, but the Holy Spirit would give Paul the words to say that would impact any listener, even a king. And Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 16, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So right there, Jesus is saying, listen guys, you're going to suffer. You're going to be dragged before kings. You're going to go through a lot of stuff, but the Holy Spirit's going to give you the words to say. And that's just the love of God being poured out through his servants to these wicked people. And we as servants, sometimes we're like, wait a minute, what about me? You know, I mean, I'm the one struggling here and you want to reach this guy, save his miserable soul, and he's going to punish me? But we got to remember our eternity, our rewards, all of those things, those are real. And we're rewarded for things that we did in faith. And a lot of the things that we do in faith involve some degree of suffering. So Paul knew this. He would write about it. They all started to learn. It's like, yeah, you know, we suffer for the name of Jesus and God blesses us in some other way. But you know what? Our reward in heaven is great because our job is to be a vessel. It's not to make the case for Jesus. It's to speak the words the Holy Spirit is telling us to say in these moments. And he does. It's pretty cool. And all of a sudden you're talking to someone, you're going, where did that come from? Well, right here. I know where it comes from. It comes from the Holy Spirit. The message of the gospel makes an impact on people. And that doesn't mean that they will immediately surrender to Christ, but understanding the hope we can have in Christ, it only takes one time to lodge it into their brain. And when that person dies or enters into eternity, then all the misconceptions of religion, philosophy, or whatever are cleared up. No matter what side of the fence you're on, it becomes real. Now, Paul understood this, and he likely knew that I'm going to die soon. And when he reached Rome, he would make his final testimony to an earthly king, Emperor Nero. But nevertheless, he still knew he needed to use this opportunity before Agrippa to witness to him. Verse 2, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusation of the Jews. Verse 3, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you, listen to me patiently. Paul now had a high-ranking person that would understand some of the things he was talking about. And he wouldn't have to worry about trying to make the governor understand why he's got a hit on him for religious matters. Verse 4, My manner of life from youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. Verse 5, They have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strict party of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. So he's laying out his credentials. He did this in Philippians 3.5. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisees, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So Paul throws out his credentials and says, dude, I was the man. 
And Paul took great pride in his self-righteousness when he was a Pharisee. But when Jesus got a hold of him, he understood that whatever he gained, he now had counted all for loss for the sake of Christ. And he dumped all of his accomplishments, understanding now that they didn't make him righteous. And he had this reputation, and here he will remind the king and all of those present that, hey, I was very zealous for the law. I'm not some flake. Verse 6, and now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. Verse 7, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by the Jews, O king. The hope he's referring to is the hope of the Messiah foretold in the Old Testament. The Jews had been waiting for Messiah for centuries. And while they waited for him, prophets wrote about the Messiah, which means anointed one, or Christ, Messiah Christ, same meaning, different languages. In Isaiah 53, Daniel 9, Psalm 2, Psalm 22, and many more passages, they all describe this anointed one that would come and set them free. And King Agrippa was familiar with the Jewish hope. Verse 8, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Because one thing the Jewish nation was not expecting was that the great anointed one, the Messiah or the Christ, would be killed, even though the prophets clearly wrote about it in Daniel chapter 9, 26, after 62 periods of seven, Messiah is cut off or he's executed. It's right there in their writings. And Daniel goes into detail on the future of the nation of Israel, blocking the years into three periods, seven seven-year periods, 62 seven-year periods, and finally one seven-year period referred to by many as the seven-year tribulation or the great tribulation. This whole group of years, totaling 490, has all been completed except that last seven-year period. And the seven seven-year periods and the 62 seven-year periods are back-to-back. At the conclusion of this period, the time of Messiah or the Christ, He'll be executed according to Daniel, and that's what happened. So, as the scriptures describe the Messiah's death, many Jews didn't understand this. But when Messiah dies, he would not stay dead. That too was also prophesied in Psalm 16, verse 10. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. It's talking about Messiah is going to die. He's going to go through an earthly death, a physical death. But the corruption that happens after a person dies, or body rots, basically, that's not going to happen to Messiah. Messiah will not see that type of decay. Verse 9, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 10, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were to be put to death, I cast my vote against them. Verse 11, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. Now, Paul gave them his background. Now he's going to give his testimony. And our testimony is a very powerful thing when we are sharing Christ with people. Some of us have some pretty crazy testimonies. Others don't really have that great of a testimony. It doesn't matter. Just the fact that you know now who Jesus is you know that he is the Son of God. You know that he is the one who's waiting on the other side of eternity. That's powerful. I was once here, and now I'm here, especially to those people who knew you before. And that's what Paul's going to do in verse 13. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone all around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, 
Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And the goads were those things that you prod cows with. It's like people who ride horses, they have spurs. And when you drive those spurs into the animal's side, it, it creates pain. And so it makes the animal respond. Same with a goad. You know, you push it and you, it doesn't move. So you stick it with this goad and it's like, oh, ouch. Okay, I'm moving. And Jesus is saying, you're kicking against that. You're just hurting yourself, Saul. Remember Saul? That was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Greek name. Verse 15. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Verse 16. But rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That is a cool verse. There it's summed up right there. Paul, I'm going to send you off to all these people. You're going to deliver a message to them. And that message is going to be one that delivers them out of all kinds of darkness and delivers them from the power of Satan to God. And we don't really realize that we're under the influence of the power of Satan. Go talk to a person and say, do you feel like you're under the power and influence of Satan? They'll be like, get out of here, you weirdo. But realistically, we are. You ever have those crazy thoughts pop into your mind? You're like, where did that come from? Well, that came from the spirit realm. That came from something dark and foreign. And you can't figure out, why am I thinking this? Why is this always hammering my brain? Well, because there's evil out there in this realm that can access your brain. Your spirit is lodged within you, and the evil spirits can connect with your spirit. 1 John 5, 19. Verse 19. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, Verse 20, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. And to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. There it is. He lays it out. And that just rocks Festus' world. Verse 24, And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Now remember, Festus was a very sober-minded person, very much a natural thinker, didn't believe in the supernatural. And now Paul's laying on the supernatural really thick with him. Festus is like, you're crazy. Verse 25, but Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. Verse 26, for the king, pointing at Agrippa, probably, he knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. Verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Verse 28, and Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Paul, you're witnessing to me. You expect me to believe this? Verse 29, and Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. What is he talking about there? He's a prisoner. 
Well, he says, except for these chains. I think what he's talking about, and it goes back to his testimony, how he was so wrapped up in who he was in this world that he was delivered from that, and now he sees things clearly. I wish all brothers and sisters in Christ, we would routinely look at ourselves and realize what I was and what I now am, and glorify God in what I now am. Verse 30, then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with him. Verse 31, and when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. Verse 32, and Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And he could have. The problem was God had Paul on a mission. And if he would have been set free, they would have killed him, most likely. Well, God would have still preserved him. But God's plan was, no, Paul is going to Rome on the government's dime and under the protection of the military, basically. And he's going to go testify to Nero, one of the most vile people on planet Earth that's ever lived. And Paul's going to tell him about Jesus. Why? Because Jesus wanted Paul to tell Nero about salvation. And that's pretty crazy because Nero was nuts. He was evil, but nobody is beyond the reach of God's forgiveness. Not even this guy. Thank you.